question for you to ponder today, church. Have you ever wondered if you are winning or losing in life? Have you ever wondered if you're winning or losing in life? Maybe you think of it in those terms, maybe you don't. Uh, probably to some degree or another, we all have some awareness of whether we are winning or losing and what that actually might look like. So the question is, how do we know if we're winning? Are we winning if we get that corner office? Are we winning if we have the car that we want or the kind of house that we would love to have? Are we winning if we are among the best in our field? Are we winning if we have good health? Maybe if we maintain a desirable body shape, which I have to admit is harder to do during these pandemic times. Are we winning if, like those prosperity preachers who preach, health, wealth, and prosperity? One of the games that my kids and I played a few weeks back is the game of life. It's a classic board game. And in that particular game, the winner of the game is the one who has the most wealth at the end. How do we know if we're winning or not? The other side of that coin is, how do we know if we're losing? If we haven't lived up to our potential in our career, or if we have broken relationships, maybe a marriage or family members or friendships. Maybe if we're jealous of others and what they have and and what we don't, if we notice that discrepancy, does that mean we're losing? Or maybe, again, the lack of health, wealth, and prosperity. Does that mean we're losing? How do we know if we're winning or if we're losing? And are you winning or losing in your life? Most of us love to win. We love our teams to win. Uh, we pick teams. We are faithful to those teams. And we love for them to win. I've always um, admired a little bit and been a little bit envious of those odd people who simply play games for fun. They don't play to win. They just play to enjoy the game. They're strange lot, aren't they? But for the rest of us, we love to win. You know, for Paul and the early church, they claimed a victory status. They claimed that they were on the right side of history or the right side of whatever it is that life was thrown at them. The victory that they claimed was not a political victory. Now, the Romans was the big enemy in Jesus' day, and all of Jesus' followers thought victory simply means those Romans being out of, out of control. But even after Christ's resurrection and exaltation, the Romans were still very much in charge. One of the great powers of this world, even to this day in the history of the world. And so the victory status was not necessarily a political victory. It's also not a victory over all suffering in this life. Paul had a very good theology of suffering as you could get. He suffered all the time. He was beaten. He was thrown in prison. He probably had other ailments. Eventually, he was martyred for his faith. His sufferings 
did not mean that Jesus isn't on his throne. He still claimed victory even in the midst of what seems like defeat in the eyes of this world. His was not a victory of wealth. Most in the New Testament were not. It was not a victory of worldly status. Suffering in the New Testament did not equal losing. What does it mean to be victorious? Now, in this series that we are in, we are talking about and focusing on the resurrection of Christ and what it looks like to live our lives in light of that resurrection. Does the resurrection make any difference in the way that we live today? The resurrection is connected as a part of that to several different pieces. Of course, backing up, you have to have a crucifixion to have a resurrection. You have to have a death before the resurrection happens. So the resurrection and going this direction in history is connected to the crucifixion. And then after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples and to many different people for about 40 days. Then he ascends into heaven. Uh, the classic Christian calendar, Ascension Day, was this last Thursday. Uh, us Methodists don't really take note of that very often, but I think it's noteworthy to point out that Christ has risen and he has ascended into heaven, just as we did, said so, in the Apostles' Creed. After Christ ascends, ten days later, he pours out his Holy Spirit upon the people on the day of Pentecost. We will celebrate Pentecost next week when the Spirit comes down upon the people. And so all those things for us are in the past. But we still wait one thing in the future, and that's the return of Christ. That's the, the, the piece of the puzzle that is yet to be fully in place. We are there in the in-between. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. So all this means that Jesus reigns right now, even though there is a lot of evidence to the contrary. Christ reigns over all the powers of this world, whether those powers are good or bad, however we determine what good or bad is. He reigns now in this very time and in this very age. When you woke up this morning, Jesus was sitting on his throne. Now, Jesus didn't just leave us here in this world to figure it out on our own. He didn't just say on that day that he ascended, he didn't say, all right, guys, I'm going to come back. I'm not going to tell you when. Uh, Y'all just figure this out and just know that I'll be back. That's not what he said. He said, I will always be with you. I will send my spirit to be with you, and I will sustain you with my presence all the way to the very, very end. Christ is reigning now, and he has entrusted us with a responsibility to live under his reign and to know that we are winning. We're winning because, as Ephesians 1.22 says, he has put all things under his feet. That means God has put all things under Jesus' feet, and he has made Jesus the head over all things. This is no anomaly in the New Testament. little Bible trivia question for you here. Do you know the most often quoted Scripture in the New Testament? What Scripture in the New Testament do the New Testament writers quote from the Old Testament more than any other? You may be surprised to know that the scripture that is quoted more than any other in the New Testament is Psalm 110, verse 1. And it says this, 
The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You know, we often think about the gospel in terms of the death of Jesus atoning for our sins, and that's true. But the ultimate part of the gospel is that ultimately God is in charge, and ultimately God reigns. And that reign is not just that God has all the power, but that God's power gets expressed through the love of His Son, through the love of the Father, through the Son, into the world. That's how God lives out being in charge. In his Pentecost speech, Peter quotes this scripture. He says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says in verse 25 of chapter 15, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Referring again to Psalm 110. And then again, the gospel writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 verse 13 refers to Jesus and all things under his feet. Jesus himself quotes this scripture. The gospel is about God winning. It's about God reigning. And the call for us as followers of Christ is to get on board with what God's victory looks like. It means we look back upon what he's done in the past, but we also anticipate the completion of that reign. That the world as you experience it and live it now is not the permanent state of affairs. That the day will come where God transforms the entire world. But we get to begin right now with letting him transform us. Beginning with your heart and your mind and your way of being, and your way of living, and your actions. To begin to live your life in such a way that when people look at how you live, they could tell that God reigns by the way that you live your life. So what does that look like today? What does it look like to win? Sometimes winning in the kingdom of God means that God will bless you financially. But sometimes it means having peace and contentment with less. Sometimes it even means in poverty. Winning in the kingdom of God sometimes means that God will heal your body or the body of someone else that you love. But sometimes it means being faithful, even in sickness, even in death. Winning in the kingdom of God sometimes means getting that promotion, having greater influence in the world and upon others. God may allow you to have that so that he can use you to influence others. But sometimes winning in the kingdom of God simply means tending to your God-given area of responsibility even if nobody else notices, even if your worldly influence doesn't seem to take off. Sometimes Winning in the kingdom of God looks different for different people. And it's going to look different for you than for me. In all things, we have to say, Lord, would you show us what it looks like to live in your victory, whether I have all things or whether I have nothing. But in the end, whether we are given much in this world or whether we're giving little in this world, living in the victory of God means that everything we do is for the glory of God. Everything that happens 
that God can use that to build his kingdom, to draw other people to himself, that the world would see that there is a God who made us and that God who made us happens to be a God who loves us who also happens to be a God who rules over all things. That's as good a news as it gets, that the one in charge is actually one who also loves. I think that's pretty much the gospel in a nutshell, and we get to be invited to be a part of that. So let me ask you, in our world today, are you winning? Are you winning? Christ is on His throne. As followers of Him, we can pray for whatever we want. We can ask Him for anything. In fact, He welcomes it. But God's not a genie in a bottle that we can just rub and get everything that we want. He's not here just to give us all that we want. He is here to give us what is good for His kingdom and His glory. And what's good for His kingdom and His glory is also ultimately good for us as well. So if you don't get what you want, know that God hasn't forgotten you. Know that He loves you and that He wants to work in you and through you and in your situation. If you do get what you want, then give Him the glory as a sign of His victory in the world. This Apostle Paul who wrote about Christ being at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all things, all powers, all dominions, the name above all things, above all names. In another letter to the Corinthians, writes about how he was tormented and how he prayed three times with God to have the thing that was tormenting him to leave him. And he heard these words from the Lord. He heard, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul therefore says, I will boast of all my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. You could probably add epidemics and all kinds of other things to that list as well. And then he says, for when I am weak, I am strong. Church, I invite you to think about the weak places in your life, those may be, in the kingdom of God, your strongest places. It all really just depends on how we see things and how we perceive them. Let us pray that God will help us to see things the way He sees them. Would you pray with me?